This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today on the podcast, we've got a very special guest for you. His name is Daniel Cox. So Daniel is the director at the Survey Center on American Life. He's also a research fellow in polling and public opinion, and he also specializes in survey research, politics, youth culture, and identity, and also religion. He got his PhD in American government from Georgetown. This guy is kind of right in my age range. He's done a lot of great things, but he studies some stuff that I think is very, very important for you guys. So you've heard me say a lot before. That men don't have any friends. I mean, I just released a seven-part devotional series, basically imploring you guys, begging you to build your foxhole, to build up a group of men around you that are cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis and trying to get you to do the same thing, right? Where you're all sharpening iron all the time. Like, that's kind of what I want you to do. But this guy did some very, very interesting research this year that kind of looked at friendships in general in the United States of America in in a post-COVID world, because yes, we are pretty much post-COVID, but post-lockdown, all these different things. A lot of the researchers looking at friendships were shocked by some of the things that came back, shocked by some of the, the trends that they've seen. And guys, the trends over the last 20 to 30 years should really, really scare you. Okay, so at the beginning, we start with kind of just generic stuff about friendships in America, but then we really dig into men and why men don't have friends and some of the reasons behind that. Now, we did not have a lot of time with Daniel because he had several more of these talks to do today. He's constantly going on the news talking about this with different pundits and things like that. So we didn't ask all the questions we wanted to, and then we added some more that we weren't planning on. But I really wanted to kind of get to bedrock as to what are some of the main reasons And even just some things for you to be thinking about and looking for as a man that's kind of looking around you and you don't see any guys that you think will actually be there for you. Again, as I call it, you got a bunch of 6 p.m. friends and no 3 a.m. friends. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Daniel Cox, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, the first place we're going to start, we're going to start really, really micro here. You're a pollster by trade, and so what in the world does a pollster do every day? We keep hearing about you guys, but what in the world do you do all day? Yeah, so uh, I am a public pollster, and that means that I conduct research on Americans' lives and opinions, attitudes, experiences, and I provide that information free of of cost. You know, anyone can read it, and it's really an attempt to help us understand where we are at this moment who we are, what we believe, you know, we're in tumultuous times here, lots of change. And, you know, my purpose is just to help us get a little bit of a handle on it. And it's a little bit different than some of the other research you may see out there and and political pollsters and market researchers 
working for private companies, you know, they're all doing research too, and they're asking people people questions. Um, but their their purposes are just a little different. You know, a political pollster wants to help someone win an election. Uh, a market researcher wants a company to help uh, you buy their product or service. And our goal, and there's there's a number of people out there in this space, people like uh, who work at Gallup or the Pew Research Center. And, and our goal is really to help us understand, you know, life is really, really complicated and we're trying to just make it a little bit easier. Okay. That's, that's super interesting because it's, it's helpful for us to kind of know the perspective that you're coming from and where that all comes from. But really this all hinges on an article that was released here recently. And that's why we're talking. It's uh, an article on the survey center on America's life's or survey on American life's website. So it was dated actually June 8th of 2021. And it was on the state of American friendship. Okay. And then you talk about the changes, challenges, and losses there. And that was all based on a 2021 May of 2021 American perspective survey. And we're going to summarize a lot because we don't have a ton of time here today, but there were some general trends that you saw that even with the COVID pandemic, even with some of the stuff that was going on specifically in America, that you saw a pronounced decline in the role of friendships in American social lives. And you talked about a lot of things in this and guys, we'll have the, the link in the podcast notes so you can check this out for yourself. But you talked about a lot of broader structural forces at play. You mentioned Americans that are marrying later than ever, that they're more geographically mobile than in the past, that American parents are twi spending twice as much time with their children compared to previous generations. And also uh, Americans are working longer hours and traveling more for work and all these different things. But you know, it, is it just a too big of an issue to kind of come down to one singular thing or are the, or is it just this amalgamation of all this crappy stuff that results in America's Americans not really focusing on friendships? Yeah. So we're seeing, you know, and this is going to be not a surprise to anyone who's lived through the last 10, 15, 20 years, we're, we're seeing, you know, fundamental shifts in American society and culture. Uh, Americans are marrying later than ever. Uh, fewer Americans belong to uh, places of worship, religious communities, um, we views about a whole range of ideas such as uh, families and relationships is, is changing as well. Um, you know, young people are much less likely to prioritize uh, marriage than they used to, right? That these things are, are absolutely shifting in, in tectonic ways. And so, you know, friendship is just one thing that's being buffeted by all this. And one of the things that we saw in the poll is that there's a number of different ways that we saw this decline. One is the number of close friends people have, uh, and that was defined just as, do you have a close friend or not, and how many? Um, the other was, uh, do you have a best friend? Uh, and who is the first person you go to when you have a personal problem? And this could be a friend, a spouse, partner, uh, parent, sibling, and fewer people are turned to their friendship uh, friends when they have these types of problems. Yeah. And when I was digging through those stats, it was kind of a weird phenomenon, Daniel, like none of the, the results you found were terribly surprising, but they were still concerning. And so, so one I wanted you to specifically talk about, it seems kind of minor, but it's major considering some of the guys that I talked to is that you said that Americans were more likely, as you mentioned, to make friends at work as opposed to, you know, at school or in their neighborhood or place of worship or existing friend groups. Now, doesn't this cause a major problem for the future in that, you know, younger generations, they either one change jobs all the time or they're, you know, trying to be a solopreneur and influencer. Isn't that going to have some really big future ramifications for us? Yeah. So this, again, it, it may have been not that surprising given how much work has kind of taken over. And, and it's always been kind of a central part of 
when we think about, you know, living a fulfilling life, you know, workplace, doing, uh, having a job, having a career has always been at kind of the center there. And so that, that we're making, uh, you know, close friends at work, the workplace is actually a good thing. But when we talk about changes in, in workplace, uh, you know, going remote workplace flexibility and scheduling, um, this is all going to have downstream effects on uh, our ability to, to form these relationships at, at a place we spend, you know, 10, you know, upwards of 10 hours a day at. Yeah. And one thing that you talked about in the study as well is basically, and you mentioned it as well before, is that many Americans don't have a large number of close friends. Okay. So we talk about all the time about a foxhole. So we just released a, an episode series and a devotional called how to build a godly and manly foxhole. And that's building a bunch of guys around you that aren't 6 PM friends, you know, people that, you know, you can reach out to until about 6 PM. We're talking about the 3 AM friends the I'm on my way with a shovel friends, you know, those types of people, but that the numbers are just terrible that close to half of Americans report that they have three or fewer actual close friends and the, the number of close friendships they've just declined every year or every decade after every decade. So what are some of the more, I'm, I'm going to try to get you down to like bedrock here. What are some of the foundational cultural issues we're going to face because we don't have friends that we can go to when we have a major life issue? Well, what is that going to do to us? Yeah, so uh, you know, that's a little bit beyond the scope of our poll, but we we know from existing social science research that in terms of, of feeling anxiety and uh, loneliness, social isolation, um, depression, these are all a lot higher. Being a- alone is not good. Um, you know, we're all alone during periods of our life and for short periods of time, some of them must for longer, but we know that the long-term effects of chronic social isolation and loneliness is really, really negative. For you personally, uh, for for whatever relationships you do have, for your work, for for the broader community, uh, it's really all around negative. There's nothing good about it. Yeah, and the thing that I've seen a lot, Daniel, as well, is it has a very, very huge impact on men. And that's why I talk about it. That's why I try to get guys to really focus on it. So now we're going to kind of move into a lot of the things from this research that really affected men directly. So from the study, you said men today are five times more likely to say that they don't have a single close friend than they were 30 years ago. So 30 years ago, isn't that long ago, guys like that? That's the first thing is like 30 years. It's like, oh, that was forever ago. No, no, no. That's not even a person ago. That's like a half a person ago. Right. But that's a stark increase. In, in the people that say that they're less likely to have a single close friend. And I know your your research doesn't really dig into all of the ramifications as to how we got to this point, but why do you think that that's happened? What What's special other than the, the explo- exploding technology? What has been the thing that's happened over the last 30 years to cause this? Yeah, so uh, I, I think it's important to put these, these findings in context. So this isn't the first study or, or research that has shown this. So this is part of a broader, uh, you know, number of studies and, and um, research papers that have shown that our social circles are shrinking, that we we have fewer people to support us uh, and to support than, than we used to. So uh, uh, a, a survey we did a couple of years ago actually found that when you ask people, do you have someone that you've talked to in the last six months about a personal matter, uh, nearly one uh, in five Americans said that they didn't. And among young men, uh, a group that has been suffering uh, disproportionately when we come to when it comes to this stuff, more than one in four young men said they have they have no sort of close social contact. And again, so that that comports with what we're finding in this study on friendship. 
Uh, and there are there are some structural factors that that we really do need to pay attention to. Uh, we talked about the workplace a little bit, how how important that's been. Um, we know that again, young men disproportionately falling out of the workplace uh, or the workforce. Uh, that you know, when it comes to the last ten or so years, um, so that when they talk about people who are chronically um, unemployed or they're they're not even in the in the workforce because they're not even looking anymore, um, these are people who who struggle also uh, with their social life. You know. They just don't have the same kind of connections because a lot of that is through through work. Um, we know that again, marriage is actually a great way to build out your social net social network. Uh, I think we often in our society, you know, pit marriage and friendship against each other, right? Like if you know when uh, you get married, you you need to devote a lot of time to your spouse. Uh, there's new responsibilities. Uh, and all that, but actually, uh, married people, uh, by and large, have more friends than people who are single, uh, widowed, or divorced. Uh, so actually, that it, it tends to work out to your advantage. So when Americans are marrying later, um, they're they're losing access to that uh, sort of more robust social circle uh, earlier in life. Um, we know that again, religion continues to be and it always has been a great social outlet. Uh, for all you know, the other stuff that it provides, it is really, really uh, a great place to to um, find a family, find friends, find uh, fellow travelers, and so I think like that's been really important. And we know that for particularly for men, the decline in, of of folks who are who are attending and uh, participating in religious services regularly has has plummeted. Um, we know that geographic mobility people have uh, a lot more options when it comes to traveling. Uh, we know people are, are job hopping a lot more. We know parents uh, also are suffering a lot. You know, they're, they're putting way more time into their kids than they used to. And the thing that gets pushed out at the end of the day is friendship. I mean, and friends. Friends are just the easiest thing to sort of say, you know what, hey, you know, my spouse needs me to do this or my kids need me to do this or I have to take care of my dad or my mom uh, for one reason or the other. And, you know, uh, it it's the easiest thing to put off uh, hanging out with friends and, and we shouldn't. Uh, we just know that the, the benefits that accrue from from having those close connections uh, with your friends, intimate uh, uh, connections is really important. Yeah, it's incredibly unnerving to really kind of dig through this. I mean, it was it was an uncomfortable read, but I'm glad I read through the stuff that you were finding because it seems to ping true. And I'm going to get back to some stuff on the parents here in just a second. But before I go there, uh, there was something else that you reminded me from from the study. The study found that married men are significantly more likely than married women to say that the first person that they're going to talk to when they have a serious problem is their spouse, right? So 85% of married men say that they're going to turn to their spouse when they have a personal problem. Now, I feel like that could be a very good thing and a very bad thing, depending on the problem, right? But from your perspective, is it just a preference that modern men are preferring to go to their spouse because maybe they married at a more mature age. And so now they have this older spouse that they're doing life with. That's just their preference. Or is it literally because men just don't have anyone else to turn to other than their roommate? Yeah. So there's, there's a, a number of things going on here and, you know, we can sort of hit it in reverse order. So yeah, that men are more likely to rely on their wife than their wives are to rely on their husband. That's been true. A number of studies have found that um, and one of the things that does, I think, is it puts a lot of pressure on your spouse to kind of be everything for right. you, right. Uh, to, to help you through problems, to talk through sort of financial issues, to, you know, to do everything. Um, you know, women, by contrast, have a number of different people that they, they rely on. Uh, so whether it's friends or siblings 
uh, maybe a colleague or a co- or coworker. And so uh, again, it's sort of more diffuse. And so they, they have a, a larger group of folks and that's, that's just imperative. Um, one of the, the key findings and it was really surprising to us uh, was that people with just one friend, one close friend were not any less lonely than those without any. Uh, and you, so more friends was really important. So when you got to like three or four or five close friends, then you started seeing the benefit of, of friendship when it comes to things like depression and anxiety and loneliness. Uh, so it wasn't just having one. Uh, the other thing is we know that having a closer, more intimate uh, emotional connection with your friends matters. We included a number of questions in the survey to get at that idea. So you do receive emotional support from your friends. Uh, do you tell your friends you love them? Um, do you, you know, can you tell them about sort of personal intimate details of your life? Uh, women, not surprisingly, score much higher on all those things than men do. Uh, although men do do some of those. And the men who do, uh, again, they score much lower on all these negative social outcomes uh, and health outcomes. So anxiety, depression, loneliness, again, they're much lower if they have a, a more of an emotional, intimate connection. The other thing that's really interesting because uh, I've heard this talked about a lot that, you know, oh, men and women just need different things out of their friendships. You know, men stand shoulder to shoulder when they're they're hanging out, sort of doing a task, you know, getting uh, uh, engaging in an activity, whatever, whatever it is for women. Women um, sit uh, across from each other, sort of talking, emoting, all that. And I think it's true that men do uh, are engaged in sort of the, the activity based friendships more, but they need that emotional connection just as much as women and they benefit from it just as much as women do. Well, I'm glad you said that there at the end, because that's something I've said a lot, that men connect shoulder to shoulder, women connect eyeball to eyeball. And that's that's just kind of a, a normal platitude that people will say, but it is still very important. And, and I encourage guys to do things that aren't very fun for them, like being vulnerable, right? So you, you're, you are the businessman, but maybe you're having a down quarter and now it's the, the down quarter on the back of two other down quarters. And as opposed to just letting your guard down for a second, admitting to some of the people in your life, hey, I don't got it all going on. I know the truck's, you know, perfectly... Uh, clean and I know the front yard looks great, but man, my business may be falling apart, but most guys aren't willing to just be vulnerable enough with their people because they have to kind of keep up that image. But I'm going to chase about a thousand rabbit trails because you brought up a bunch of different things. So I'm going to come back to the kind of the parent deal. Uh, One thing that you talked about in this study was that a number of young men that they rely on their parents for personal support and how that has doubled over the past decades. Now that's not incredibly shocking considering, you know, the helicopter parent generation and parents that have basically been like knocking all the problems that could potentially be in their kids' ways out of their way. But a lot of this, I feel like stems from the fact that most parents are seemingly okay with their kids just coming home and living with mommy and daddy after college, right? So they're, they're 22, 23. Why not extend adolescence all the way to 30, right? Sure. Play video games, you know, look for a job, maybe launch your YouTube channel, but ultimately it's a lot of parents that are enabling this. No. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly complicated The the millennial generation, uh, which, you know, I, I am like on the edge here. I'm like a, like the youngest uh, Xer uh, or the oldest millennial, depending on how you want to cut it. Uh, like the millennial generation uh, graduated into like one of the worst, like the uh, the big chunk of them graduated in one of the worst you know economic environments that you know in in I think a generation. Um, there they've had uh, greater student loans than uh, any generation previously. College costs you know have increased tremendously over the, the past decade or so. 
And so their, their economic circumstances are certainly part of the story, right? There's cultural things going on, societal things going along, but I think the, the, we can't ignore sort of their economic circumstances. And when you look at the, the, the sort of wealth gap where baby boomers were when they were the age of millennials and where millennials are, boomers were far, far uh, further along. Uh, and so I think, you know, some of this is certainly about just needing uh, some financial help. Uh, but the, the problem with that is that there are uh, some repercussions or downsides to this. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a parent myself. I have a, a three and a five year old. I'm a, I'm a super booster when it comes to parents. Um, but it's a unique relationship. Uh, and, it, you know, in many instances, it's, it's not an equal relationship, right? Uh, where we might expect reciprocity. Um, parents aren't going to be able to help you out in the same way your, your peers will. Uh, they're not going to be attuned to, you know, the kind of problems you're going to have exactly as a young person, maybe dating uh, with relationships, um, with, you know, starting your career. And so I think, yeah, there's a number of ways in, in which, despite, you know, all they're wanting to help, parents may be actually um, setting their kids up for uh, some, some challenges down the road by not encouraging them to get out there um, and start building their social life. You know, we, we talk so much about building a life, you know, uh, getting a house, a job, a, um, a spouse, um, you know, a family, but we need to talk about building a social life, building friendships. Um, we know that it's not just for young people. We spend most of our time in our early years is, is when we, we dedicate the most time to friendships, but friendships are sustaining throughout. In fact, among seniors, studies have shown that it's not the relationships with family at that age, it's your relationships with your friends that, that um, are most correlated with, with positive health outcomes. Well, I think as well, one thing that you mentioned is kind of the things you're able to build off of that, but these children aren't building resilience either. I mean, we're obsessed with resilience here. And I remember, cause I've talked about it here on this podcast at one point, cause I graduated from college in 2008. So I was right there in the middle of, of graduating in a financial crisis. There weren't a lot of great options for me, regardless of where I graduated and my GPA and all that stuff. I was down to my last 75 bucks at one point, right? This was before I got married, which I got married at a young age, but it's like, I didn't have the avenue for excuses, right? There was no avenue and my parents didn't have to tell me, hey, you can't come home after college. I just knew it. And I think most of these kids know that they have that safety net and they're all too eager to kind of, you know, go ahead and jump into it whenever they need to. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think the parents are going to create some of these downstream issues that uh, maybe won't even be seen until this next generation raises their kids. But, you know, one thing I did want to kind of talk about is uh, from another interview, you said you've gotten a lot of interesting feedback to your research, specifically this research. So you said you've gotten feedback on the survey from conservatives that, you know, have been that modern culture has feminized men and that it makes it difficult for men to engage in traditionally masculine activities, like no more all male spaces. And you said that you didn't really find that all that convincing. But then you said that liberals are saying that toxic masculinity is the root of the problem, right? You know, toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, and that men are socialized to not show affection and that it's uh, affecting their relationships and ability to emote. You said that there's maybe something there, but that's not the whole story. If, if, I were to press you, which is exactly what I'm doing. Where would you say you land? And I don't mean politically as, you know, far you know, as to the right or to the left, conservative, liberal, but who do you think has the better arguments for this? Because I got to be honest, for me, as soon as I heard you say that, you know, modern culture has feminized men, I was like, yep, check, moving on. Like that, that was such an a, a easy explanation for me, considering all the other options. But if you had to really peg it and say, it's probably more so this than that, what would you say? Well, I think that the entire idea of like what is feminine and and masculine, like 
we're we're renegotiating that, right? You know, every generation, uh, you know, they they push back a little bit on the sort of received norms, uh, the the ways of doing things, and I think that you know, young people today are also rethinking a lot of uh, what we might define as traditional notions of femininity and masculinity. And we know, right, this is this is not a contentious point, right? From an early age, women are socialized to be more nurturing and relationship-oriented than men. Uh, men are taught to perceive intimacy uh, with other men as effeminate or weak or maybe unnecessary. Uh, and how difficult vulnerability is. Like the for, for an older generation, the, the only emotion that was really acceptable was that anger. You could be angry, uh, but you couldn't, and maybe you could be happy, uh, but like, being sad, um, being melancholy, uh, you know, being depressed, being anxious. Uh, we still see social desirability here that, that, that people who feel these things don't want to admit that they're feeling them. And, and that's a huge problem. The other piece is that is the relationship oriented part, right? Like we should all be relationship oriented, right? We should all care about, um, our, our relationships, whether they're friendships, whether it's a spouse, whether it's our kids, uh, and so I think like, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I would call it toxic masculinity, but I think like that, that, that some of the ideas of, of traditional notions of masculinity are problematic. If you want to encourage men to experience the entire range of emotions, to be able to, um, with their male friends, you know, reach out when they have a problem, um, ask for help, uh, receive emotional support that we know they're not getting at the same rate that women are. And that we know, uh, the the group that is most likely to have an opposite gender friend is single men and we know those one of the reasons that they they are because they're they're reaching out to their female friends for the kind of emotional support that i would argue that they you know in a perfect world should be able to get from their male friends and you, you can see it with with uh you know with kids too like uh, my um i have two boys and they'll hold hands with the you know other their classmates boy or girl they'll, they'll hug um, and at some point we're like, yeah, no, you know, you know, uh, boys don't do that kind of stuff. Boys don't, you know, don't show the kind of emotion. Um, boys don't engage that way. Uh, and that, that, that to me, that seems problematic. Like, you know, if, you, if that's not your thing, that's not your thing. But I feel like they, there shouldn't be that restriction placed uh, on sort of the sort of available way that we can relate to each other. So you, talk, you use the word socialize, and, and I certainly don't want to frame this improperly. So if I'm putting words in your mouth, f- please feel free to correct. But you talked about how we're basically socializing these kids to act in a certain way as they become men or as they become women. But doesn't that give a little bit of short shrift to perhaps actual wiring, like genetic wiring? Because one thing you also said in the study is that there are no generational differences, meaning younger men are more no, no more likely than older men to have shared their personal feelings with a friend. And so here we live in this very progressive culture where, you know, gender is apparently fluid and all these things are, are just up in the air and you use the word renegotiate. But even from your study, it shows that older generations are doing the exact same thing that younger generations doing are doing. So is there something to that? Is that more wiring and not just Western patriarchal, uh, you know, associations with certain words and certain actions? Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I, you know, in, in all the interviews I've done and the way I talk about this is, is I think that, you know, if you want to talk about masculinity and, and whether that's part of the problem, you need to reconcile the fact that, again, if you look at young men versus older men, young men have um, very different attitudes about traditional masculinity uh, when it comes to issues like homophobia, uh, you know, very, very different attitudes than older men. Um, so like, it, that can't be the entire story. That, that can't be 
um, the only thing that's that's driving this. And I think like if you were to wave a wand and sort of say, you know what, we're going to, um, you know, make men and women, you know, exactly the same when it comes to how they, you know, think about this and their socialization. Uh, I think we would still see differences. And I think a lot of that are the sort of the structural issues that we talked about earlier. I think you just simply can't ignore them. Um, and I think for far too long, people in institutions, whether it's the, the workplace um, or church, uh, have not paid enough attention to, to fostering uh, opportunities uh, for people to, to develop lifelong friendships. Okay. So at Undaunted Life, we actually have a definition of what a man is, right? Because everyone's got their own definition of manhood and this and that. Sure. But we say it's a male that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. So not strength, because strength can wane. Resilience is that ability to bounce back. But focusing on spiritual resilience, mental resilience, and physical resilience. Like that, that is what we say a man is. So no one's going to live up to that standard. But from your perspective, in light of all the things that you know and all the research that you've done that I have not had the opportunity to read yet, do you feel like that's a pretty good target for men to shoot for. Yeah, I, 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 you know, really like the idea, and we're, we're a little going a little further afield from the from the data and what I actually know about. But I do think, yeah, resilience is is great um, because it it builds into it uh, this idea that that there's going to be ebbs and flows in your life, right? You're going to you know be up and down, um, and resilience. Uh, you, know, my understanding of it is it's that ability to get back up um, when you get knocked down. Uh, and I like the idea that, yeah, it's separate from strength. Like, you know, strength is great, but uh, resilience is what's going to keep you going uh, when you get knocked on your butt for that third time. Right. Well, hey, I get the sense that you and I are going to talk again. I get the sense that you're going to keep putting out some stuff that's kind of in this vein, but I know we're running short on time. So I do want to kind of move to our lightning round. So we do have a section here towards the end of our interviews that we do sometimes called, what would you say to someone that said? And so I'm going to say that, and then I'm just going to fill in the blank with a random statement but here's the thing. You got 30 seconds. Okay. That you can't like go off and, you know, quote this thing and quote that thing. It is just nuts and bolts, meat and potatoes. What would you say to someone that said, I fill in the blank and then we go. So you up for it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First one here. What would you say to someone that said parents need to stop letting their sons move back home after college? Uh, that it's great to have them home, but it, you know, in the long run, it'll, it'll be helpful to get them out of the house. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I don't need a best friend. Well, I mean, the best research says you, you don't need just one. Uh, you need a number of friends. You need a group of friends to really help you uh, sort of navigate all the challenges that life's going to throw your way. You're doing great with lightning round. I feel like you've done this before. So yeah, I need the names of all the other people that have done this and preempted you and helped you out beforehand. So here we go. We're going to keep going. What would you say to someone that said, it's okay for men to be stoic? I have no problem with stoicism, uh, but we all need connection too. Uh, you can be stoic and still have people in your life who support you when things get tough. Great point. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said it is okay for men to be lone wolves? Well, uh, wolves hunt in packs. So, uh, you know, really uh, lone wolves a lot easier to be picked off uh, in, in the forest, in the woods. So like the wolves that live the longest are ones that are part of packs. You're making my points for me. All right. So I just need all my guys to listen to this because I've been saying a lot of these things, but you seem way smarter than me. So this is going to work out great. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said connecting via technology is just as good as connecting face to face? Yeah. So there's been tons of research on this and the problems of technology. And we, we know interpersonal uh, trust is, is much higher when you can connect face to face. Um, it's a lot more fun too, quite frankly, when you can engage and, and see someone in person. 
All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, as church attendance continues to decline in the West, so will the state of American friendships? Yeah, I think that there's some truth to that. Um, and, we, and we know that there's a lot of benefit from being involved in religious community uh, for an entire um, family. Uh, and so we, we know that it's a great place to, to um, raise your kids. We know it's a great place to um, make friends. So yeah, absolutely. All right, just a couple more left. What would you say to someone that said, men connect shoulder to shoulder, women connect eyeball to eyeball. That's just the way we're wired. Uh, I would uh, say that men and women equally uh, benefit when we can uh, create enduring, intimate connections with other people. All right, the last and perhaps the most important question of the day, what would you say to someone that said, there are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics? I'd say, uh, come follow us on Twitter and check out our website. <laughs> hey, come on now. Mark Twain hooked me up with that last one. You're not even going to give him any, you're not going to give him his play. You haven't heard that one before. I know you've heard that before. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, point of fact, like for any research you're going to look at, um, you should absolutely, uh, pay attention to the methodology, you know, do, do your research, look at them, uh, look what they're, they're doing and, you know, make your own decisions. All right. Well, hey, we've gone everywhere in this conversation. I know we had limited time, but I'm glad we got in the information that we did. But that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, absolutely. Love the conversation. All right. Daniel Cox, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Daniel Cox. I really enjoyed that conversation because we didn't really get to drill down too far. We didn't have enough time to get into some of those areas, but I was really glad that we got to focus on male friendships and what, what males are losing out on when they do that. I assume that he and I have a lot of areas of disagreement when it comes to some of these things. And some of you out there might be wondering like, hey, Kyle, why didn't you press him on this? Why didn't you press him on that? Guys, we had a limited amount of time. We are going to do something like this again down the road. I can pretty much guarantee it. So hopefully we can have some more time to dig down. But this is a guy that really likes to stick with the data. This is a guy that wants to describe things as they really are based on their studies, which they assume are not flawed, right? And so he doesn't really like to you know, articulate opinions that go outside of that. That's something that he and I talked about off air. So I can respect that. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now at Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. So specifically, we do that by providing you conversations like the one you just heard that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So with that, I've got the link to that study that we talked about. So that's the state of American friendship, change, challenges, and loss, and also a link to Daniel Cox's Twitter. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just email me, info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. Check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And lastly, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>